Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today, in honor of Metro Family's 25th anniversary and three years of our Raising OKC Kids podcast, we are welcoming back one of our most popular guests, Michael Dickerson, for an update on one of our most downloaded podcast topics, mental health in the workplace. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me, Erin. It's good to be here again. Well, I'm excited to get to hear from you today. And for our listeners, Michael is already a familiar face and voice for many of you. He's a frequent Metro Family contributor and first appeared on the podcast back in 2021. Michael is a mental health professional with 13 plus years of experience, including working at the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services for a decade and serving on the Association of Training and Development Board. He's also a seasoned trainer, keynote speaker, and entrepreneur who founded and currently runs the Dickerson Consulting Group, the Spillover Effect Podcast, and the LinkedIn newsletter, Open Mic. He also has a new book coming out this fall. His ultimate mission is to help leaders create a culture of well-being so employees can uncover their strengths, find meaning, and flourish at work. Michael, I want to start today with one of my favorite topics you address. Tell us more about why work-life balance is actually a myth. And can you give us some examples from your own life about what it looks like instead to set healthy boundaries around work life and personal life? Yeah, this is always an interesting topic. So one of the ongoing um, things with my friends is like an ongoing joke is we always ask each other, like, how's that work life balance? And everybody always laughs and rolls their eyes and like, what does that even mean? <laughs> and so <laughs> um, and so this idea around work life balance, um, it's it actually is a good concept, right? We're thinking about how to um, really uh, balance work and really balance family life and what does that what does that look like um but in, in terms of a concept in practice it just doesn't go very go very well and so when we're thinking about this this work life uh balance is what we really need to be thinking about is i like to say uh boundaries over balance and so when we're thinking about work life balance thinking about um, what does that look like for me? Because really it looks different for everybody. And so what you really need to do is just implement uh, boundaries. And so what that might look like for me is, um, you know, in the morning, I work out from seven to eight and I don't take any emails. I don't have any phone calls. I, I don't even look at my phone. I put on my workout music and I put it in a locker. And like between that time of seven to eight, I really focus on and being present of working out. That also means too, when I'm at home, home and I'm with my family, like I have boundaries around making sure that I'm present with my family. And that's going to look different uh, for everyone. And so um, when we talk about work-life balance, it is a myth because it's really talking about how do we balance. And people just don't have really good, good balance because some people work 10 to 12 days. Some people work six days. So it's going to look different for everybody. But at the end of the day, I always think of to try to get people to think about just have boundaries over balance. And that's going to look different for everyone. I think that's so like, it's such a free concept because when I think about balance, like that's the bigger picture. And I get so overwhelmed with trying to achieve what's not even achievable 
But when I think about those smaller boundaries, it makes it possible for me. 100%. Um, and I think the other thing that has been important for me to realize about this is it looks different in different seasons. So mm -hmm. for example, I try not to work in the evenings after my kids come home from school, but mm -hmm. if I'm in the middle of press week with the magazine, um, th there's some times that I'm going to have to work in the evening just yeah. to get the job done. Um, so I love this concept because I feel like it, it's actually workable in real life and it creates a lot less guilt for me. As yeah. yeah, because this thing around work-life balance, um, if people understood the history, it really comes from working moms. It came out when working moms in the 70s, we were starting to see a lot of working moms in um, corporate America. And they was like, well, I have a kid and I need to tell to my kid. And they was like, well, they created the concept of work-life work -life balance. But now, you know, 30, 40 years later, you know, with the uh, new uh, working from home and things like that, like sometimes work tries to infiltrate your family life. And so I so say you have to put things in place to know, like, it's just not a normal work day how it was in the 1970s of you work your nine to five, you go home, you don't work anymore. That's just not the case today. So we have to implement uh, really good boundaries in, in place. And so what that means, that might mean like, you know what, from six to 10, I'm not going to do any emails when I get home. Maybe after 10 o'clock, if I'm a night person, I might do emails, but really having those boundaries in place. Um, I know attorneys, they work 14 hour days, but they try to implement little things to have good boundaries so they can spend time with their family. So it's going to look different for everybody. So Thinking back to pandemic life, I feel like that's when things started to shift, especially for employers and schools for that matter. There's just a new level of awareness around mental health, um, especially families and their boundaries around work or school. Like I'm thinking I'm going back to those virtual school days <laughs> that were so painful where my husband and I are both trying to work from home. We're trying to go back to first and third and whatever pre-K, I guess at the time. So a silver lining coming out of that is that we're all more aware of our mental health. What, what are some positive ways since the pandemic that you've seen organizations or companies do a better job of supporting the mental health of employees and families? Yeah, so there's two things I think is starting to happen that is um, very positive with organizations. The first thing that came out of the pandemic is that we're having conversations about mental health. Because before the pandemic, of course, we knew about mental health and well-being and what that looks like. But what the pandemic was is just accelerated the conversation now. And so now organizations are really good about having these conversations around mental health and what it means to take care of your employee uh, well-being and what that looks like. So the conversation is going really good. And then the other thing that's starting to happen is um, a lot of what I do now is a lot uh, education and training. And so um, a lot of them starting to come in and we're starting to just educate employees. So that might mean uh, doing an hour of um, mental health education in the workplace for your employees. What, is that, what does that look like? Or reducing stigma around mental health. How do we help with that? Or training managers 
around mental health because they have direct reports and how to identify any signs or symptoms of maybe whoever you are working with or whoever you manage might dealing with the mental health. So I think those two things are what we're starting to see now in terms of very positive aspects of what organizations are starting to do and really having these conversations and really doing more education and training around uh, mental health in the workplace. So what happens next? What do you feel like employers in Oklahoma in particular need to continue to do to create more positive work environments? And what are some ways that employees could actually advocate for better boundaries? Yeah, so um, so one of the things that, that I do around my consulting firm is, so I have a five-point plan. And uh, and with this five point plan, we look at what type of things are you hitting on in terms of creating a, a better work environment around mental health in a workplace for your employees. So one of those things might be benefits. So we need to look at benefits and, and we also need to look at customizing benefits to each employee. Now I know everybody can't do that, but it's gonna look different for each employee. Um, you might have a single mom, who needs help with childcare. And that might just help her work better within the workplace. So what is what are those benefits that you are offering? I'm a big proponent of mental health days and uh, really having mental health days on top of uh, your PTO and your sick leave. And so uh, mental health days are, are really great and allowing people to say, you know what? Um, I want to take a mental health day uh, or mental health days <laughs> to really deal with my mental mental health at the time. So I think that's really important. And then I think um, we need to really have more leadership buy-in because the reality of it is if we don't have a champion for mental health in the workplace, none of these things are not going to happen. So, um, so in the future, I'm starting to see more uh, leaders starting to take on a champion role. So that might mean advocating for better benefits. That might mean that leader is saying, we're going to change our policies around flexible work because we know that enhances uh, employees' mental health. So it's just, uh, it's, it's changing uh, in the future. I think if we start looking at those things, uh, people, one of the big things with organizations is recruitment and talent development. So we have to look at how, uh, how are we branding ourselves? Are we letting the Gen Zs, because if I, if I even get on my soapbox about the millennials and Gen Zs, they really prioritize mental health in a workplace. So are you branding yourself as an organization that we um, uh, really prioritize mental health and well-being in the workplace? Because that's a great recruiting tool when you are going out and recruiting uh, millennials and Gen Zs. So these things I start to, I'm starting to see, and these are the things that's going to uh, happen uh, in the future. Here's the reality, a quick statistic. By uh, 2025, Gen Z and millennials are going to make up 65% of the global workforce. Wow. By 2030, Gen Zs and millennials are going to be 75% of the global workforce. So uh, when you start thinking about mental health in the workplace and they prioritize that, like that's a big recruiting tool. That's so great to know. Um, I mean, that's really going to drive a lot of businesses and organizations to have to make some changes if they want to be able to recruit well. 100%. 
So this time of year is inevitably stressful for many families. At least it is for my family, as we were just discussing. Mm -hmm. Kids go back to school. Everybody's schedules change. What advice can you share for parents to make sure they're caring for their own mental health and the mental health of their kids during this season? Yeah. So, you know, the old saying where uh, when you're on a plane and something happens and you need to put on your mask before you put on anybody else's mask. But what tends to happen with parents, and it's just a natural inclination because I'm a parent, we like, oh, if the plane is going down, put the mask on the kid, right? So our inclination is to put the mask on the kid. But the reality of it is, and we just need to go back to the old saying, you really have to put the mask on yourself first, right? You really got to do um, really good self-care and taking care of your mental health first, because if you're not taking care of yourself. You can't be present and there for your children. That's just the reality. And so um, I think more parents need to be intentional about doing things that they used to do even before they had kids to take care of their mental health. So for example, um, I had a colleague um, and uh, uh, I guess her son is like three now. And um, she said she used to love to um, draw and you know go to different art shows and stuff like that before she had her son. And I was just having a conversation. I was like, that's something you need to get, get back to because it fit, it fit it really, you know, gives you energy and makes you feel alive again. Like go do those things and just be intentional about the reality of it. Your kid's going to be there. Hopefully you have a great support system. Drop them off to grandma's and be like, hey, I'm going to, to draw for two hours and go do that. And so I think people have to get back to doing those hobbies or doing those things and being intentional about that. You know, when you have kids, you got to be a little bit more intentional and decide and, and plan a little bit more. But we you have to put that mask uh, uh, on you first and not always think about, oh, I need to put my mask on the kids because the reality of it is your kids need you at your optimal level. And then if you're not your optimal level, then you're just not going to be um, the, your best self for your kids. That is so true. And it's still so hard. Every time I'm on an airplane and the flight attendant says that, I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that in the correct order, but I'll sure try. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It is hard. Um, I, I think this time of year, you know, we're having a lot of conversations in my household about how are you feeling today emotionally about school? And um, I start to notice as I ask my kids those kind of questions, they're asking them back to me, mm -hmm. which um, again is kind of hard because sometimes good. I have to get vulnerable with them about, you know, challenges that I'm going through or anxiety that I'm having. Um, but I've noticed that those conversations can be really powerful for my kids to 100%. realize that. Mom doesn't have it together all the time for sure. And that's what it, I think that's what it does. It lets um, our kids know, like, we're not Superman. We're not super uh, woman. Uh, you know, we have days that are not going well, but um, what we show is resilience, right? And one of the big things that we want to teach our kids is to be able to be resilient and, and, and do healthy things to um, really replenish us. And so that's what we need to show us because at the end of the day, kids are just going to model um, what you do, not what you say. Yeah, which is frightening a lot of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I grew up in the old school where it used to be like your grandma say, don't do what I do, do what I say. And I'm like, that doesn't, that that was a myth. If you talk about work like that was a myth. That was a myth. That's not true. I do what you do, not do what you say. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and I love what you said about taking that time for self-care. And, you know, we both know that can feel impossible in the moment. And sometimes I just have to remind myself that doesn't always look like leaving the house for a day or half a day. Sometimes that's just me saying to my kids, I need 20 minutes. I'm going to go read my book by myself for 20 minutes. You guys find something else to do, or I'm going to cook dinner by myself. Um, and the, another really cool thing that I noticed with my kids is that occasionally they will say that to their siblings. I need 20 minutes to just go to my room and yeah. be by myself and decompress. Um, so I think that can be hard this time of year when we've got so many other things going on. So and it's interesting you talk about that because one of the articles I, I wrote on uh, my LinkedIn is called Real-Time Resilience. And you just gave an example of real-time resilience. Like you stop it in a moment, say, I'm going to take some time from, and I talk about it from in the workplace because there's times in the workplace where we like, man, I need self-care right now. And you just really gave it a good example of what I call real-time resilience. Like I'm going to use, I need 20, 30 minutes just to gather myself and to really take care of myself. So that's good that you talk about that. That's a great example. And I often feel guilty for saying it, but it works. I mean, yeah. it's powerful. And then I can come back and be a, a more engaged and intentional parent. Well, are you putting on your mask? Yes. <laughs> right. Yes, absolutely. So see, I can do it. You can do it yeah. It's a good reminder, Michael. Thanks. Um, one of your most recent blogs for Metro Family focused on ways for men in particular to improve their mental health. Why does there continue to be such stigma around men and mental health? And how do we continue to move past this as a community? Yeah, so for uh, so long, um, uh, you know, probably since the beginning of time, when you talk about men, it's talk about be strong, right? And I think men should be strong. I think that's a core principle of uh, being a man. But but we misconstrue what that means of not being vulnerable or not telling anybody that we're we're struggling or we're dealing with. Uh, certain uh, mental health issues. And so our culture continued to perpetuate that, right? And so um, men just found different outlets to deal with whatever they're dealing with. So if that's playing sports or if that's, you know, going down to the bar and drinking and just, you know, um, you know getting into fights, there's different outlets of uh, you know, really dealing with whatever we was uh, dealing with at 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 the time, or really just repressing those feelings, and so um, so because of that, because of this perpetuation in our society and in our culture, men haven't seeked out help for their mental health. And then another another reason, um, and this is really particular to the the black community, the African American community. You, if you were struggling with those things, you just didn't talk about it. You just didn't go seek help for it, right? And there was so much stigma around you. It was like, oh, you get labeled crazy. And so, so for so for men, 
uh, now uh, the age that we live in. And so we're talking about it more. We're starting to see more men um, uh, using it as a way to really deal with some major trauma that's going on, right? And so we need uh, more workplaces. We, we need more um, uh, places that really offer men and just for men, because there's nothing like when other men come together to talk about their own uh, mental health and what that means, what that looks like. Um, now, I talk about the African-American community, the Black community. For so long, it used to be the barbershop, and we did that in the barbershop. You went to the barbershop, and you, 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 know, you really talked about uh, your struggles. Uh, but we need more places just to open up and really talk about what it means to really deal with your mental health and have good well-being, right? And so we talked about that mask earlier on the airplane, like it's it's the same uh, just as for fathers, um, because we tend to look at fathers as the leaders, right? And so a leader um, needs to take on take on that mask and really say, hey, I'm I'm struggling with these issues. I'm dealing with this. Um, how can you help me? And then go seek uh, professional help if you need that. But this is just something I'm very passionate about. I think more men are, are becoming open to it. It's really interesting. A lot of times when men find out that uh, I'm a mental health consultant, you'd be amazed at how they just open up to me and ask me so many questions, which is good for me because it lets me know like, hey, they really want to have conversations about these things. But it has to be in an environment where they feel like um, uh, anything that they express or any concerns or any struggles they have that it's not going to get out. That, you know, people are going to say, hey, I heard you were struggling with this. Like they really want some privacy around that. And so and to be able to talk to other men, because there's nothing like when you have another man saying, oh, I've dealt with this substance abuse issue or I dealt with anger issue or, you know, a lot of times I have depression or I feel like, you know, I, I'm purposeless, like my job sucks. You know, when you have other men, you know, say that because we so define ourselves by what we do in terms of our work, when other men actually say that, it really is helpful. And so this thing around men's mental health, I think is going to be um, a thing now and in the future that is just going to explode. And we're going to see more men really talk about this. And particularly, I think young adults, um, our young men right now are struggling. And so we need more men to, to really um, help mentor uh, young, young men and say, hey, it's okay if you're struggling with your mental health. But also, one of the things I also tell Young young men, when I work with young men, it's not an excuse either. So we can't use that as an excuse to not do the things and be responsible for the things that we need to be responsible for. So for a dad listening, Michael, that maybe doesn't have a built-in support system, how does he how does he find a support system like what you're yeah. talking about? So um, go on go on the internet. Sometimes you got to go to a DHS. Um, Family expectations. I don't know if you heard of that or public strategies. They have great, great programs. So you just there's <laughs> there's so many ways to find out so many different programs out there. You just have to Google it and really be intentional about um, reaching out. Like they can always reach out, reach out to me. I can help them with uh, different resources. So it is a matter of uh, getting on Facebook. Sometimes if you just get on Facebook and say, hey, do anybody know about this, any specific resource? Sometimes that really, really helps. Or going on LinkedIn and just typing in different resources. Um, going to the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse website. They got a plethora 
of resources. Um, you can go to uh, Mental Health Association of America. Um, it's a national program. They got a plethora of, of different things that you can look at. And so it's just a matter of just Googling, um, putting mental health or men's mental health, and you can see different type of resources that's out there. That's so helpful. Um, and I will add, as a mom raising two boys, we have had some interesting conversations in our household about mental health and feelings. And I am going to call out my husband, Jordan, who, who there was a conversation. I've told this story on the podcast before, but we were having a conversation with our middle son um, about just some big feelings he was having. And he said, well, but dad doesn't have any feelings. So that kind of stopped us in our tracks and um, really encouraged my husband to share with our kids more about just everyday feelings he was having or things going on in his life. Um, and that's made just those little conversations at the dinner table have made a huge difference in our household and, you know, really showed me my kids say mom has way too many feelings and dad has no feelings. That's our joke in our household that they, our kids need to hear from, from both of their parents about 100%. mental health and how we're taking care of ourselves. And they yeah. need to see that we're both um, making the effort in our daily lives. Yeah. And one of the things I think is important, especially like somebody like your boys, a young, young men that I'm talking to, is it doesn't what what I mean because I I don't want to misconstrue mental health in terms of sharing your feelings because one of the things that happens with men you like share your feelings and guys go what do you what do you mean share your share your feelings but and be vulnerable but what I usually try to tell guys it doesn't mean you need to spill your guts to everybody right so one of the things for your boys it might mean like you know what. Uh, for your sons, like I had a rough day, so I can share that with mom and dad, right? Because they're the, they're there to protect me, but it doesn't mean I need to run down the street and share it with everybody else because uh, maybe they're not going to be as protective of your feelings. And so, I, one of the things I, I try to you know um, communicate and articulate to people that doesn't mean being vulnerable is like I I got to go spill my guts and spill my feelings to everybody. If you're going to spill those those feelings and share those feelings with people you trust, who you know are going to protect you, who you know have your best interests at heart. And I think that's really important when you share the men, because if you just tell men like, yeah, just, you know, gun ho and, and share your feelings. But no, we need to make sure that the people we're sharing our feelings is that we trust, like somebody like your boys, like, you know, mom and dad is going to do the best protect your feelings. And they're going to validate those feelings. Some people you share your feelings to, they're not going to validate your feelings. They're going to be like, I'll oh, just get over it. No big deal. And we want to share those with people like we can trust and know that's going to um, empower us and say, you know, that's great. Thanks for sharing. I like when you talked about mentors. Um, and we talk in our household a lot about just what you're saying, like who is somebody at school that is safe, that you feel comfortable talking to? Like if you're having a hard time, who can you go find at school, whether it's teacher or a friend or who were the other people in your life who, if you felt like you couldn't talk to mom or dad about something that was going on, who else could you talk to so that they kind of have those built-in supports, um, even beyond my husband and me. Mm -hmm. That's good. 
As we close out today, Michael, I want to hear all about the inspiration for your new book that's coming out and how you hope this book will inspire others. Yeah. So my new book is called Struggle Well at Work, Positive Mental Health Strategies for a Flourishing Workplace. And so one of the reasons that um, I, I did this book is, uh, so a lot of times when we talk about mental health in the workplace, it usually comes from the perspective of really dive into uh, mental illness and what depression and anxiety, because that is the two most common mental illnesses that you see in terms of the workplaces. But um, as I did more research, what I start to come across is this um, term called languishing. And so my background, of course, is in uh, mental health, being a social worker, but I also had a chance to really study um, what they call positive psychology. And positive psychology is what is looking at what is right with people and how can we help people flourish and work and in life. And so out of this uh, positive psychology and out of looking at mental health, this term languishing came up. And so I was talking to a, a friend a friend one day and he was telling me, man, I just feel stuck. I just feel a void at work. I just feel, you know, I have no purpose at work. And it hit me. I was like, oh, uh, this guy is what the term called languishing uh, means. And, uh, and we call it the middle child. It's the middle child between flourishing and uh, if you and, and not dealing with the mental illness. Um, these are individuals just who I say are neutral. They're not dealing with the mental illness, but they're not actually flourishing at work. And so I was like, oh, he's languishing. And the, from my research and what I found through uh, Better Help is uh, really 55% of the employees in the workplace are really languishing. They're not dealing with the mental illness. Um, and so uh, there's only about 16 or 15% of people who's dealing with uh, a, a mental illness, but you have 55% of the people who's really languishing, who just feel stuck, who feel purposeless, who feel like there's a void at work. And so my book was really catered around like what interventions and strategies can a manager and leaders create to help people flourish at work? And what can we do to help individuals go from being in neutral um, to really, you know, thriving at work and what that looks like? And so uh, that's why it's called Flourishing Workforce. And we know once we have a flourishing workforce, um, you know, people uh, are more productive. Uh, it increases uh, performance. It improves well-being uh, when people feel like they have more purpose and really flourishing at work. And so that's what I built my book around and really wanted to really have something very, and we talked about this before we jumped on the podcast, really want to have something tangible and practical that I can put in leaders and managers' hands to say, hey, you can read this book in a day or two, and it's going to be something that you can implement now. And so I thought that was uh, really important. And so that's my strategy around the book. Um, as I was telling you earlier, something short to the point and people can utilize uh, right now. Man, that I had the opportunity to get a little sneak peek and that section about languishing just hit me in the gut. <laughs> I mean, I remember times when that is how I have felt at work and, or as a parent in life. Um, and I love 
always, Michael, your positive focus on moving people toward being able to flourish, whether it's mm-hmm. at work or your work-life boundaries. Um, so I think it feels so relevant. And I love to the format where at the end of every chapter, you have the opportunity to reflect um, on your own work situation and everything that you've read about in that chapter. I think it's incredibly meaningful and I'm excited to see the finished product. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited, uh, excited for it. And um, it's just something I want to do. And I, I wanted to really just get this out there because I know um, there's a lot of leaders that um, it will be definitely helpful and useful for them. And parents. Um, I yes. mean, every every piece of content that you've created for Metro Family, the podcast that you've been on, there's a reason why you're like our most downloaded podcast <laughs> because your words are just so impactful and so helpful. I always feel like I've gotten my own mini therapy session. So thank you thank so you. much, thank Michael, you. for being here and for all you've done for Metro Family. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.